Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. Hey, good morning, church. Um, uh, we're going to do, so, so when it comes to our worship service, it's kind of been pretty simple, and I like that. Um, we are going to change, we've added some things in the last several months as we uh, look just to honor Christ and be gospel-centered uh, in all that we do. And so we started doing communion weekly to uh, not, not to be, and we'll talk about this today, actually, it's God's providence, I believe, is not to be a uh, routine, but to actually, yes, be a ritual where we're constantly doing something on purpose regularly to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one thing we're going to start today, and I wanted to explain it, uh, is we're going to read uh, the scripture that we're going to preach through together. Uh, not necessarily together, we're not going to read it together, but we're going to read it, uh, at, or someone's going to read it before we come up and preach, and we're just going to have a public reading of the word. Um, Paul tells Timothy that don't, you know, don't neglect doing this, have a public reading of the word to preach and to teach. Um, and so we want to make sure that that's something that we do regularly. And one of the things we're going to ask is if, that you, if you are able to, as we read the word, is to stand. Um, the reason we want to do that, it's not, is the Bible doesn't say you have to stand when you read God's word. There is some precedence in, in Nehemiah when, when Ezra opens up um, the Bible or what they had at the time, uh, everyone stood as he read from it. Um, so, so that is part of it. But one of the things I want to do is I want to stand with you guys uh, and, and, and be a part of the congregation so that I can remember that I'm not just up here preaching to a people, but I'm up here reading the word too. I'm up here preaching the word. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not up here because I'm, I'm more special, but I'm a part of this church. And so I want to be standing, be among um, my people as we hear God's word. Um, and so that, that's kind of one of the reasons. And also the second reason is just to have a, this healthy reverence for the word of God that, that, you know, sometimes we often say like, I really just wish I would hear from God. Um, and the reality is you absolutely can. And it's in this book. It's right here. This, this book is God's word. He breathed it out. Just like he breathed life into Adam, he's breathed out the words in this book. And so as we read it, and as we read it out loud, it is hearing from God himself. And so uh, I want us to stand just in reverence, that, that just as a reminder that this is God speaking. This isn't Adam speaking, Zach speaking, or anyone else speaking. This is God speaking out his word, breathing life into what he's desired for us to learn and how to know him. And so uh, with that, Adam's going to come up and read the rest of Esther 4, is not very long, uh, we're almost done, and then I'll come up, and he'll pray, and then I'll come up and preach, and this will be a regular thing, and so you can stand for the reading of God's word. Um, and Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in 
all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the, f the 14th day and the month Ad Adar and also the 15th day the same year by year. As the day on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Habadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, and plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast per, that is to cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that this evil plan that had been devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged in the gallows. Therefore they call these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at a time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into the skies, disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. The Queen Esther and her daughter of the daughter of Abihel and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming these, this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth, and these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fast and lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Param, and it was recorded in writing. And 10 says, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and the coastlands at the sea, and at the acts of power and might, and the full account on the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him and they are not written in the book and are they not written in the book of chronicles of the kings of Medea and Persia for Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to king Ahasuerus and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people you can be seated amen thank you Adam so good morning everyone Hope you guys are doing well, because I'm tired. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so today we're finishing out Esther. And so as Adam just read God's word to us, we read the rest of Esther. Um, and as we read the rest of Esther, we actually did a pretty good job kind of giving a review of the book. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time reviewing the entire book of Esther. I've done that a lot over the past 11 weeks. Um, and so we're not going to continue to do that necessarily. We will at times. Um, but you, what you see in here is there's this idea of celebration. Right, and so um, celebration's a good thing. I think we all celebrate. My, I have a mother-in-law who loves throwing parties. She just is huge into throwing parties. She's got um, a box of decorations for every single holiday you could think of in America, uh, whether it's Fourth of July, the big ones, you know, Fourth of July, Easter, Christmas, those things. Also Memorial Day, Veterans Day, 
St. Patty's Day, things like that. Like the house just gets decorated. Christmas is the biggest. There's like tons of trees and there's a whole village scene. I like to make little uh, actual scenes within the scene um, and see how long it takes her to find them. But um, if you've ever seen the movie The Village, I like to kind of act that out in her The Village that she makes on her, on her thing. Anyway, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know if it's good or not, but she likes celebrating it, and it's a really good thing to celebrate. Celebration's a big part of the Bible, and God's people are commanded oftentimes to celebrate and remember certain things. And as we see here in Esther, salvation requires celebration. We've seen in the storyline uh, of Esther, there is salvation. You see salvation for a man named Mordecai, that he had a death sentence, that this man, Haman, wanted to kill Mordecai and kill all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. And there was salvation for Mordecai. Mordecai didn't die. In fact, there was a great reversal. Not only did Mordecai not die, Haman was the one who died. And all of the enemies of God who sought to destroy his people, they died. And so there's this big reversal, and there's celebration. Salvation requires celebration. So as we read through Esther 9.20 through 10.3, we saw that there was this celebration. And so a um, couple of the things uh, I want to talk about is that throughout um, church history, there's been a lot of celebration. There's been uh, Lent, although it's a time of, uh, of, of, of mourning, remembering your sin, it, you know, it ends in this Easter as a time of celebration. Easter is a great time of celebration. Christmas and Advent is oftentimes a great time of celebration, but I think throughout church history, specifically um, those who find themselves in Reformed theology, which is what we're a part of, um, don't oftentimes do a great job of cele- celebration. Um, they were really good at mourning. We're incredible as Christians at mourning and, and, and mourning over sin and lamenting over our sin and repentance, and that's a really good thing, but oftentimes we miss the excitement and the gladness and celebration, and so Throughout church history, there's kind of been this balance, and oftentimes things get into uh, more mourning and lamenting, uh, which is good, and those things should exist, but we miss oftentimes the celebration. And so some of the things that we try and do here to remember that celebration is communion. We want to do that regularly because that's a celebratory thing. It's not, it's not a routine, but yes, it is a ritual, and we would do that to celebrate the gospel, to celebrate Christ's work, his atoning work on the cross for our sins. Um, and it's not a bad thing. When I go home and I get home from work and I go and I hug my kids, that's not routine. Although I do it every single time I come home, it's not a routine. It is a ritual. I come home, I try to say hi and kiss Margie first, and then I go to the kids. Sometimes they get in the way and it's hard. Um, but it isn't a routine. It's a ritual. And it's a really good thing. It's a thing of celebration. So we as Christians really should be the best at celebrating. We have a lot to celebrate. Amen? Like there's a lot that God has done for us, and we should be the best at celebrating. So the Jews here, they, they were saved from physical death, and they celebrate through this feast called Purim. And they celebrate this th- th- throughout this, to, th- to this day. Um, and we'll get into a little bit about how it's celebrated, and it's kind of weird and, and unique and different. Um, but it is still celebrated today. And so there is this celebration, and we as Christians should celebrate. We should celebrate. We should record down what God has done for us. So this week we released our mid-year report as Adam kind of went over briefly. Um, and that's one, the reason we wanted to release it. it. wasn't to say, look at us and look at all that the Grove has done. It's to look at all that God has done in us. Look at all that God has done, that people are being baptized, that people are going through uh, steps and, and finding hope and recovery. Like, this is incredible stuff that people are gathering regularly in home groups that, that 
people, we're, we're, we're giving coats and meals and vitamins and, and we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, this is good stuff. And this is things that we should celebrate. And so we'll celebrate twice a year. We'll release a mid-year report. And we'll list an annual report just excited about what God is doing here. That thousands of people have listened to our, our sermons and been reached by our sermons. Like, this is incredible stuff. And we should celebrate and be excited about all that God is doing here. It's why Christians oftentimes practice journaling. Journaling is an incredible way to remember to celebrate. Because you can look back on your journals and you can see all that God has done for you. So we, as a people, should be the best at celebrating. We should celebrate regularly, but we should celebrate what matters. And so we had this huge, uh, it was pretty huge, it was big for us at our house, 4th of July party. And man, that's awesome that 4th of July is a, is a holiday. Everyone likes celebrating. Um, not, it's not just a Christian thing. Uh, nationally, we celebrate many holidays, 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Veterans Day, um, Memorial Day, Labor Day, all these different holidays that we celebrate, and even, even employers oftentimes celebrate, we celebrate. So we had this 4th of July party, but one of the things we wanted just to make sure we centered 4th of July around, although we're celebrating, you know, America's birthday, as I, t- as I try to explain it to Elium, um, we're, we're, we're really looking past that as Christians into a greater freedom that we have in Christ. And so we don't just celebrate the, you know, we, we should celebrate a lot of things, but we need to look past that and that all of our celebrations should ultimately terminate on worship. And that's why, as we've gone through Esther, the titles of the sermon is always Jesus is a better something. Jesus is a better reversal. Jesus is a better Esther. Jesus is a better uh, Xerxes. Jesus here today is a better celebration because although God's people were saved from physical death and they celebrated for two days, we... As Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as daughters and sons, we've been saved from eternal death. We've been given hope. We've been brought from death to life. And, that, and that's what's happening here. Like, oftentimes we, we think of this idea that we're, you know, we're saved and God, God's, God's in my life and I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, however you want to put it. But what, what ultimately, when you get down to the Bible, what happened is you were dead in your trespasses. You were an enemy to God and you were brought from death to life. You were an enemy, and you became a son or daughter. You were guilty, and although you're guilty, God declares you innocent. Like, that's something way better to celebrate than what they're celebrating here. And so this is a picture of something that's, that's bigger and yet to come in Jesus. So we celebrate Jesus. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. At Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and they throw this party, Purim. And so what's happening here is there's a summary of salvation, of, what, of, how the, of how the Jews were saved, and then there's a recording of celebration. And so we read it together, and so what happens is they throw this party. And so they still throw this party today. It's a little bit weird. Um, uh, when I was in Israel, I spent six months living in Jerusalem, um, and, and it was during the, the Feast of Purim, and it was... Uh, it was a lot like Halloween in America, like everyone dresses up and paints their face and goes around um, and drinks way too much. Uh, and so like the next day, like the second day of Purim, you're walking down Jerusalem and there's literally just people passed out in their own vomit and there's like glass everywhere, broken bottles. Like it's just really weird, strange. It's almost like it's not really being celebrated the way it was intended, right? Like that's not, I don't think that was the intention. Um, but Esther is filled with feast. Uh, the, the story of Esther is filled with feasts and banquets and dinners and oftentimes too much drinking and, and eating too much and gluttony. And so when we, when we do celebrate, we have to celebrate rightly. 
We don't want to celebrate with too much food or too much drink. And so oftentimes, even as Christians, as we get together, we oftentimes celebrate um, in, in, in some sinful ways. And we drink too much or we eat too much. And, and so one of the things we need to do is as we celebrate is to not be like Paremus today, but to celebrate rightly. And it's not just for us to have fun. It's, it's for us to teach our kids, to teach our grandkids. That's why they recorded this down is to teach the kids, the grandkids, the next generation, that 200-year legacy of this is how God worked in our lives. This is why you're here today because God saved us today. This time God saved us. So 200 years from now, you exist because of God's mercy and God's grace. And so we celebrate not just to have fun or for us. We celebrate to tell the world about a bigger story. So when, when, we, when we had 4th of July at our house and we invited our neighbors, we want them to see that there's a bigger story than just America. Something bigger is going on than just here at 4th of July. And so we, we wanted to do that. And when we, before we ate, we, I, I talked a little bit about a greater freedom. And we prayed, and we had some worship, and it was a really good time. And so this isn't about us, it's about your family, it's about your community, it's about your neighbors, this celebrating. So we should be good at celebrating. As Christians, we should be good at feasting. Now do you have to, as a Christian today, do you have to honor the feasts of the Old Testament? You absolutely can. I don't think there's anything wrong with you honoring and celebrating the feasts of the Old Testament. I wouldn't say you have to. I think the point is Christ fulfilled all those feasts. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled these um, declarations that you have to do these feasts. He fulfilled those things. So as long as you're regularly celebrating Jesus, you're fulfilling the requirement to celebrate these feasts. Because he fulfilled these things. He was the point of all these different feasts in the Old Testament. And so it says... um, that they write it down and they celebrate. And we should celebrate. We should celebrate. And they called it Purim. I want to explain a little bit about why they called it that. So, um, well, they, they, they kind of explain it, but I want to explain some of it to you. Haman was this pagan, godless man, but he was a spiritual man. And I think sometimes today we think spirituality is good. If someone says they're spiritual or something is spiritual, we think that's good. It's not always good. It's not always good. And so we live in a day today, people say it's spiritual and it's good, but that's not true. The Bible teaches that there is one God and there are a bunch of other religions that have other lowercase g gods that actually have demons that pretend to be God. And so there, I mean, there's, there's religions where they pray and things happen. And that doesn't mean they're true, just because things happen. You read in the Old Testament, there's times where prophets of other gods would would ask for things to happen, and those things would happen. So spirituality in and of itself is not good. There There is an enemy, there's Satan and demons who actually do things. And so what happened here was they were trying to decide how and when to kill the Jews. And so what they did is they took what we would, basically what we would call today dice, or purr, the Hebrew word, and they rolled dice. And so they had this idea that the spirits control the dice. And so if we, if we roll the dice and they land on a certain day, then that's the day we'll kill, we'll kill the Jews. And so um, the Bible says that there are counterfeit signs and wonders and miracles, that Satan masquer- masquerades as an angel of light. And so just because things happen or other religions things happen does not me- mean 
that they're good or they're true. So this man, Haman, was a very powerful man, and his prayers were answered by demon gods. He became very affluent, very successful, very preeminent. He rolled the dice. They landed on a certain day, and it was, it was like casting lots. It was divination. It was witchcraft, sorcery. It's kind of like um, consulting a medium or astrology or using a Ouija board or something uh, creepy like that. It's not some spiritual leader uh, of Christianity or some leader of Christianity. It's trying to hear from the spirit realm, and it's not good. So there's this assumption that if we roll the dice in the spirit realm, we'll, we'll decide the answer in the roll of the dice. And then we'll obey according to the, the decree given to us by the spirits or the demons. And the decree was given to assassinate or to eliminate all of God's people. And, but now, God's people call the holiday Purim because it's this great reversal. Pr- Proverbs would tell us that very clearly that God control, that we can roll the dice, but God ultimately determines how the dice fall. That God is over all things. So the point here is that God is over Satan. God is over the demons. So although they can impact how the dice roll, ultimately God has the final say. So the dice rolled. They landed on a certain day. They're going to kill the Jews. At the end of the story, there's this great reversal where the Jews don't die. The enemies of the Jews are killed. So Satan made a decision to destroy God's people but God is more powerful. He's protected his people. He's delivered his people. He's saved his people. And that saving, that salvation requires celebration. So they call the holiday Purim. It's usually around March. Um, they eat. They celebrate. They drink. Um, and it's, 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 it's strange. In addition to that, what they do is they give gifts to one another. As we do on holiday season. We do that on Christmas. We give gifts to one another. Um, so they're very generous to the poor particularly to um, the, uh, the, the poor of their own, own religion. So, so to, to Jews who are poor, they're very generous. They give gifts. Um, they, uh, people who are struggling, single mothers, widows, orphans, people who have been injured, people who are neg- negatively affected, not by their own sin, folly, or anything like that, but people who are, are because of circumstances, they believe, they, uh, beyond their control, they give generously to those people during this time. And I want you to see that if the Bible can be summarized, if there's a noun of the Bible, like there's one noun of the Bible, it's Jesus. Jesus is the noun, that it's all about him. We'll talk about that later, but it's all about him. But if there's a verb in the Bible, it's giving. It's to give. That God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God is an incredibly generous giver. And as Adam said, we are should give as well. Not, not because God needs anything from us, because he wants to continue to give us more of himself. And so we believe, as far as generosity goes, is that God has given us all things already. So if I have 10 bucks, God has given me all 10 of those dollars. And so for me to be generous with some of that 10 is just being generous with what God has already given me. It's being like Christ. It's being like God like the one who created us. And so we are generous, and, and you can be generous in a lot of different ways. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your talents. You can be generous with your finances. And we should be generous with all of those things. And so look, so, so when we talk about generosity, we talk about money, people in church start to freak out. Um, and so a couple things before we continue into this generosity idea. Um, I don't need anything from you guys. Uh, we're not looking to like buy a boat or anything. Like that's not why I'm up here talking about this. I need you to know that. And, and, if, and if, 
if me talking about generosity and giving um, is a stumbling block for you, there's two things I would say. I say, I think you should give to a church. It doesn't have to be this church. You can go find a different church to give to if you don't like what I'm saying about giving. It's totally fine with me. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. But we ought to be generous with our finances. We ought to be generous with our time. We ought to be generous because God's given it all, all to us anyway. Like, you're not talented at anything because you worked so hard. Now, you might think you are, but I promise you I can work as hard as I want to at playing a musical instrument. I could spend from now till the end of my days trying to learn to play the piano, and I will never do it. Like, it won't sound good at all. You will just pray that God would kill me and end this nightmare. And it might be a righteous prayer. I don't know. I cannot do it. And so you may have, I don't want to rob anything from you. You may have absolutely spent years playing basketball, playing the piano, fishing, whatever your talent, whatever your hobby is. You may have spent years doing that. But God's given you that talent. There's people who, who, who are artistic. And there's people who aren't. And people who are artistic can get better with practice. But people who aren't, aren't really going to ever be artistic. I'm just saying, like, I've tried to draw things, and I just can't do it. I don't have a lot of talents. That's why I'm up here. I can talk for a long time. I'm not saying it's good, but my throat doesn't hurt for a long time, so I do it. And so we have, we have talents, we have our time, and we have our finances, and we should be generous with all those things because God has given us those things. And see, you see, the, the Jewish people are generous with their, with their finances. They're giving gifts to one another. The thing you have to understand about this celebration is there was no decree that you have to go do this. God, there's no prophet saying you shall observe this feast and the way you're going to observe it is by giving gifts. This is just out of a, uh, a uh, honoring of a generous God who decided to save them. They want to be generous to those around them. And so you should absolutely be generous because you have so much to be thankful for. Like being brought from death to life is a big deal. Like, dead men don't resuscitate themselves. Like, if you're dead in your trespasses, you don't get to decide to be alive. That's not how this works. God reaches down you, and just like he breathed life into Adam, he breathes life into his people. And he puts his spirit within them. He gives them a new heart. He takes out a heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh that they want to follow him. And because we're so thankful for that, we're generous. We're generous, just like the Jews here. And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to talk about it. And I want to be honest, I've done a bad job talking about generosity out of fear and fear and fear of men. That I didn't want to talk about it because I was afraid what people would think about if I was a pastor in a new church, start talking about giving, what people would think. But man, it's all over the Bible. And I can't any longer just skip over it because I'm afraid what people will think. And so I want to repent of that. And we're not going to talk about it all the time. We're going to talk about it as the Bible leads us there. But when we get to parts of Scripture talk about generosity, we're absolutely going to talk about it. Because it's there, and it's part of discipleship. It's part of discipleship. It's part of being like Christ, is being as generous as Christ. And so I'm sorry that I've failed to talk about this for the last two and a half years as, as well as I should. But it's here, and we need to talk about it. Because it's not something that God's trying to take from us. But he's asking for some of what he's given you, for you to trust him, for you to have faith that he's going to take care of you, and that you can be generous, and God will continue to take care of you. So there's celebration, and that celebration includes generosity. And as we celebrate all that Christ has done in our life, 
We should celebrate with feasting. We should celebrate with partying rightly. And we should celebrate with generosity. Because we have so much to be to celebrate. So much to celebrate. And so we should call people, have neighbors over, have, have dinner with our, with our neighbors. We should, we should be the most hospitable, celebratory people on the face of this earth. Because everyone else celebrates shadows of what we celebrate. We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate what Christ did. And so when we finish Steps, Steps is our gospel-centered recovery and discipleship program. When we finish Steps, we have a celebration. We've got a, a bunch of tables. It's one long table. And everyone who's graduating Steps together, we just eat and we talk about what God has done in our lives for the last 12 weeks. So we celebrate. We celebrate. And so um, there's one last thing I want to talk about when it comes to celebration. And then we're going to wrap up Esther. So the interesting thing about Purim is besides salvation, not much else changes in this empire. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 says, King Ahasuerus, he's still the king. Is he a good king or a bad king? He's a bad king. He's not a good king. He didn't fall down on his knees and ask the Lord to save him. There's no new king. They're not celebrating, hey, we got a new good king who loves Jesus. That's not what they're doing. It's the same old king. King Ahasuerus imposed a tax. I don't remember any time anyone's ever thrown a party because of a tax. I just can't, unless like the Boston Tea Party, I guess that's a party, but I don't think that's what they were doing. I don't think it's the same thing. I didn't, I mean, I didn't go to college, I didn't like major in history, but I just don't think it was the same idea that they were celebrating because of the tax. They throw this party, and so not much else is changing here. And so verses 1 through 3, I want to read them all together. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all of the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to his people. So Mordecai, yes, has risen in rank. He's second in command, and Mordecai is someone who does love God, and he is trying to follow God. King Hazars isn't. And oftentimes, when it comes to the what's happening in the world, we can feel like we don't have a reason to celebrate. We can feel like, man, there's so much death and destruction. There's so much poverty. We have, an, we have evil rulers. We have, there's evil rulers in the world. Like, there's just, you can feel like there's not much to celebrate. But here, they, even though not much has changed around them, the government hasn't changed much, there's still an evil ruler who on a whim can decide to kill anyone that he wants. They celebrate. And so although, you know, we get into election years, we get into, you know, we hear the news of what's happening in the world and terrorism and things, we should absolutely be people who mourn, who stand up for what's right, but it doesn't mean we can't celebrate because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus comes back and he makes all bad things untrue. He fixes it all. He brings in a new city, and we worship him forever. We're with him forever, and that's good. So we can still celebrate, even though we see all the evil and destruction around us. It doesn't mean we don't work for the good of our city. It doesn't mean we don't try and push back what's dark with the light of the gospel. But while we're doing that, we can be people who celebrate. And so as we close up, Esther, there's some final observations I want to make. So number one, 
is that kings rule over nations, but God rules over them both. So we've seen the Persian Empire, there's this king, but we've seen that God ultimately decides what's ha- what happens. And the king can decide to kill all, the, all of God's people, and God and his providence and his sovereignty can decide to save all of his people. That kings rule over nations, but God rules over them both. Number two, that important ministry is often not done by those in vocational ministry. Important ministry is often not done by those in vocational ministry. Important ministry is not going to be done by me standing up here. It's going to be by you, the people of God, going out into your neighborhoods, talking to your neighbors, talking to your coworkers about Jesus. See, Esther and Mordecai, they weren't priests. They weren't even in Jerusalem like they were supposed to be. They should have gone back home in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They were far from God. And God used them in a mighty way. And that should be hope for you that no matter where you are, no matter what your job is or your vocation is, God can use you. Not only can he, he desires to use you to make disciples, to glorify him, to live for him. And so oftentimes there's this myth in churches that those who are in vocation, those who who work at the church, they're used for God in the most important ministry. And that's just not true. It's not the case. It's not always true. Everyone has a place to serve him. Mordecai, Esther, God used them. And if they would have quit politics and gone to Bible college, God couldn't have used them. Right? Like they, 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 they were used where they were. So if everyone just quits and, and goes to Bible college, like, this whole thing falls apart. We need good plumbers who love Jesus. We need incredible teachers who love Jesus. We need people who, we need neighbors who love Jesus. We need, we need, we need moms who love Jesus. We need dads who love Jesus. Like, this isn't a thing where, man, if, if you're serious, and this is what happens, and this frustrates me so much, is you, you have, I was a youth pastor for, for a long time, and you have, you have youth who grow up, and they, like, you have, so you have this guy He's, you know, 16, 17 years old. He just loves Jesus. He's excited about Jesus. And this is what the church says. Man, you're, you're called into ministry then. Because you can't love Jesus and do anything else but, mini- but be vocational ministry. If you love Jesus, that means you must be a pastor. What? That's not how this works. Everyone's called to love Jesus. Everyone's called to follow Jesus. Just because you're serious about your faith doesn't mean you should be a pastor. We need people who are serious about their faith and are not pastors or leaders in churches. We need people who are serious about their faith who are leaders in their workplace, who are leaders in their homes, who are leaders in their communities, who are leaders in politics. We need Christianity needs to be everywhere. But there's this sense that if you're serious about God, if you love God, you must be in ministry. Number three, ladies, women play important roles in God's kingdom. He plays important You see Esther is magnificently used by God. She didn't come from a great family. Her parents are dead. She's an orphan. Her adoptive father wasn't very great in the beginning. And God uses her magnificently. And here's one thing I want to say. She didn't use, or he didn't use her as a mother. I think oftentimes we think, you know, if I'm going to be a a woman of God and great woman of God, that I have to be a mom and I have to raise great children. We don't know that Esther ever had children in this story. We know she didn't have a great marriage. There, we, we learned that there was times in her marriage they would go 30 days without even seeing each other. And he wasn't off doing missionary work in Africa. 
he had other wives. He had other concubines. So not a great marriage, but God used her in a mighty way. Didn't have kids, didn't have a great marriage. Her primary contribution is not as a mom or as a wife, but as a woman who loves God. There's no indication at all in any of the scriptures that she was ever a mother. Now we know that motherhood is a calling, motherhood is an honor, motherhood is a ministry. We believe that, but God uses a woman who's not a mother without a great marriage. Her husband's an unbeliever. She's a believer. Her husband's got a couple hundred, maybe other wives and concubines. So it's possible to be a single woman, a divorced woman, a woman with a husband who doesn't love Jesus, and still be used mightily by God. You don't need those things. All you need is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and God will use you in a massive way. And that should be encouraging for the women here. It should be encouraging for all the men and women here, but especially for the women to see that you don't have to be a mom or a wife to be used by God. So if you're single, take this opportunity to do good. If you're not a mom and you want to be a mom, and maybe you will, maybe you won't, take this opportunity to do good, to love Jesus. Do good. Esther's, Esther does incredible stuff. So this should be a great encouragement for us all, but particularly for our sisters in Christ. Number four, God is relentlessly committed to caring for his people, no matter where they are how far they are from him. He keeps loving, he keeps pursuing, he keeps saving, he keeps investing. Number five, in the end, God wins and his people rejoice. If you forget anything in this book of Esther, in the end, God wins, his plan wins, and his people celebrate, his people rejoice. And that's incredible news and that should be encouraging. And so as we finish this, I want us to remember that, that uh, sometimes you're watching a movie the movie sucks, and you just kind of want to like throw your popcorn because it's a horrible movie and walk out of the theater. And that's not what this life is like because we know the ending. We know the end of the story. Have you ever like watched a television series bef- like after it aired? So, so, so real quick, uh, I got this and one more thing, and then we'll be done, I promise. There, there, I was watching 24, and uh, 24 had already come out. I was, I was in Romans class in, in Bible college, and um, the, and, and, and the time I was in Bible college, and my Romans uh, teacher said, you need to watch 24. It's an incredible show. So I watched 24. And I, have you, has any, who's seen 24? Anyone? Like just one person? Okay, there's this guy named Jack Bauer, and we all owe him a great debt of gratitude. Like, he saved America on more than one occasion, and it, he's just an amazing guy. He works for CTU. It's a counterterrorism unit. And I'm watching season, like, two or th- I think it was three. The Salazar family, they're doing horrible stuff, okay, to America. There's this dirty bomb. It's a whole thing. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go through it. But there's, I'm watching season three. They're already at like season five. And I'm watching season three. And Jack goes in this house to get the guy. And I'm freaking out. I've got like only, I've, 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 this is probably sinful. But I, was, I had like two weeks in between semesters. And I watched like four seasons of 24 in two weeks. 24 episodes are like 45 minutes long. It's a lot of time I wasted. But I'm watching this and I'm freaking out. Like I'm like, Jack, like, because we're, we're watching through the camera's eyes. So I know there's bad guys in the house that Jack's not going into. It's a trap. The whole thing's a trap. And I'm freaking out because Jack's going in there. And there's this literal moment where I realize, I'm like, oh my gosh. They have season five. Jack's going to be okay. <laughs> like, I don't have to freak out. I saw his face on the other DVD cover because we had to use DVDs back then. 
um, Netflix only sent us DVDs. They didn't have a streaming service. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to be fine. And I just was able to relax. And the same thing can happen to us. We can be in the middle of our life and be like, this is going horribly. Is this the rest of my life? And you just want to throw the popcorn and walk out. Or you just, you just start freaking out. You have panic attacks and you're frustrated. You're anxious. But we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story, and it's going to be okay. You know what? This could be the rest of your life on this earth. But it's not the rest of your life for eternity. There's something better that comes. Jesus is coming. He's going to take all the pain away and wipe away all the tears. There'll be no more death and no more mourning. And so we know the end of the story. So be encouraged. Don't give up hope. Don't grow weary in doing good. We know the end, and we know it'll be okay. The last thing I want to close with is a couple questions have come up as I preach through Esther. A couple people have come up and just said, like, you know, I, you talk a lot about Jesus and Esther, and I, don't, I thought this was before Jesus' time. I thought Jesus came later. Esther's in the Old Testament. Jesus comes in the New Testament. That's a really fair question. And we have people ask, well, you know, I don't see Jesus in this story at all. Why are we talking about Jesus? There's something I want to explain is that when we come to the scriptures, we're going to emphasize what we love, what we care about, what are we most passionate about. So as you read the book of Esther, if you're uh, a feminist, you can read the book of Esther, and you can be like, you know what, this woman, she grows in power, she grows in influence, and, and she sh she's honored, and she changes an entire country. And that's absolutely there. But it's not the point of Esther. But we can read that as the point of Esther because we come to it with our own desires and our own love. If, you're, if you, if you uh, submit to dispensational theology, it's a, it's a theological camp, we're not going to explain it, but they, they just really emphasize the, the kingdom of Israel over, over almost all things. Um, that's, a, that's a bad uh, summary, but they emphasize the kingdom of Israel over a lot of things. So you could, you could read Esther and you could say, you know what, this is about God's kingdom of Israel. And how they're his chosen people, and he, he keeps them, and he saves them, and they have a right to exist, not only back then and today. And you could make that the point of Esther if you come to it with that lens. But it's not the point of Esther. If you are, if you care about the minority people groups in our country or in any country, you could read this as, as, a, as a story of a minority people group rising up against oppression. You could read it as like, you know what, minority people groups, they need to gain influence, they need to gain honor, they need to rise up and to turn the tables. And that's absolutely there, but it's not the point. And we can go on and on with a number of different lenses in which we can read Esther and miss the point of Esther. Jesus, he had some Bible studies when he was on this earth. And if, like, man, if like, there's one guy I'd want to hear teach the Bible, it's Jesus. And so... Um, there's this part in, 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 in John where um, Jesus comes to the Pharisees and they're all mad at him like they always are. And uh, he says, you guys are searching scriptures, thinking that you, in them you have eternal life, but you've missed the part where they testify of me. Because I fulfilled the old prophecies. I, fulfill, I fulfill, come to fulfill the law. Not to get rid of it, but to fulfill it. And then in Luke chapter 24, he holds two Bible studies after his resurrection. And the first one is he takes the boys, the disciples, through the Old Testament, from, the, from Moses to the prophets to the entirety of Scripture, and he shows them where he is in all of it. So he's going through, and he's like, yep, Genesis, me, Leviticus, me, Deuteronomy, me, Judges, me, and he gets to Esther, and he shows them that he's the point of Esther. 
It's me. It's me. It's all about me. It's all about me, guys. And so that's what Jesus does. And then he holds another Bible study where he takes them through and he opens up their mind to scriptures and how they testify of him. Jesus is the point of this book. He's the only hero. Everyone else is villains. They might have good things they do on occasion, and that's great. Those good things should point us to Christ. Last week, the, the, the guys uh, or the kids learned about David and Goliath. And David and Goliath has been incredibly mishandled by the church when it comes to kids' ministry, and it's really sad. Um, first of all, it's a super bloody story. Like, David cuts off a dude's head. So try putting that on a cartoon for kids. Like, that's just not going to end well. It wasn't in the cartoon. You can keep bringing your kids here. Um, we used creative words to try and tell the story, but, it, but we did tell the story that it, he went to sleep forever. Um, and so, um, but the point of David and Goliath isn't that if you have enough faith that you can defeat the giants in your life. That is not the story of David and Goliath. You're not David. You're just not. You're probably more like the Israelites cowering in the corner, shaking in your armor. Jesus is David. Jesus slays the giant for you because you never could. You were too afraid. You really didn't want to. Or whatever the reason is, Jesus is the one who defeats death and sin, not us. Jesus is the point of scripture. We can go on and on and on. We can talk about Joseph. We can talk about Moses. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point of it all. And so when we, when we talk about things like uh, um, seedlings and our kids' ministry, the whole, our entire kids' ministry is centered around Jesus, centered around the gospel, because this whole book is about him. And I think if, if we did anything other than talk about Jesus to our kids when it comes to this hour that we have, I think it'd be spiritual malpractice. He's the point of it all. So when we get up here and we preach from the Bible, and we preach about Jesus. If we're in Esther, if we're in Jonah, if we're in Matthew or Mark, we spent a year and a half in Mark. That was really easy to make it all about Jesus. The entire story is about him, pretty black and white, a lot of red letters. Um, but Esther is about Jesus. Genesis is about, is about Jesus. So that's what we focus on. That's what we focus on. So we celebrate today, as we take communion, we celebrate a better celebration. Jesus is a better celebration. Jesus has brought, he's, he's made dead men and women alive. He's brought us from sin, being an enemy of God, to being in the family of God. And that's something worth celebrating. It's just incredible. We've, been, we've taken from sin and warring against God to peace with God. We don't have to worry about the end of our lives. We don't have to worry about the future because Jesus has secured the ending for us. So today as we take communion, we celebrate that. If you are a Christian here today, man, I just welcome you to come to the Lord's table to partake in communion with us. And as you, as you partake in the bread, you remember the broken body of Christ that secured your salvation. The blood of Christ that has washed you and made you innocent before him. You'd remember those things and we'd celebrate those things. Not as routine, but as a ritual to continue to remember him week after week, day after day. If you're not a Christian here today, I would just ask that you don't, there's no reason for you to partake. There's no reason for you to come up and, and remember something that's not for you. But I would ask that you would contemplate following Jesus. 
You, you, this is the God, this is the king of the universe who came to earth to die for you, to take your place, the place that you deserve because of your sin. He took on your sin. He's given you his righteousness. If you would just repent and believe. And so I'm going I'm to pray for us, and then we'll sing as a church, and we'll partake in communion as a church, um, and, then, and then Chris will come up and close us and, and dismiss us. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, I just love you. God, I, as we close this 11-week study of Esther, Lord, um, I'm just thankful for this book, Lord, that you saw fit to put this story in Scripture that we might, spe- we might be challenged to find you in it. That though your name never appears, we see your handiwork throughout the entire book. We see Jesus, your son, throughout the entire book. And so I thank you for Esther. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who celebrate. We'd be known not for everything we're against, but we'd be known for the person and work that we celebrate. The atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the covering of our sins. The salvation that's secured for us for eternity. Father, I, I, I'm thankful for this book. I'm thankful for this people. I pray that you would that uh, our songs and our remembrance of you would just be a blessing to you. And I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.